0: Uh, we long for you to be here in person, so come on. Uh, Chris has just reminded me, for our partner church and some families in Tijuana, there are four children left that uh, need a sponsor family to buy them some Christmas gifts, so if you're able, you can see Chris later, and we'll make that announcement again. And a reminder, because I totally forgot about it. So, Covenant members, today you get to vote on our 2022 budget, that so we had a budget meeting in A couple weeks ago now, I think John is over there cutting ballots for you. Um, At the conclusion of service, we'll just have you vote yes or no on the 2022 proposed budget that's been approved by the elders. And then we'll just keep doing ministry. And so if you have any questions before that happens, right after service is your time to ask either John from the finance team or Scott or myself, and we'll answer that for you. I want to invite you to turn in the Bible, your Bible, to Exodus 3 as we continue in our Advent series. If you have the YouVersion Bible app, you can click on live events, find Reservoir Church, and all the notes in Scripture will be there for you as well. And so last week, as we kicked off Advent here, we talked about grief and um, just the difficult reality of the last couple of years in our inability to process grief and what that means for us. And then we found hope in Christ. Um, and so if you weren't here with us, I, I don't usually encourage you to go back and listen to sermons. Um, but it was one in which I was exhausted, so the Spirit worked. Um, and there was some real hope there, so I encourage that to you. Uh, but today, as we look way back... We started with the end of the story in Revelation, and now we're going to go to the beginning of some of the redemptive story with Moses in Exodus 3. And the big idea is that Jesus is the fire that warms us through the cold of unmet expectations. So last week, we talked about grief and our need for the hope of Christ. And this week, we're going to talk about the reality of unmet expectations in our lives and how Jesus is the fire that essentially warms us through the cold nights. Of that reality. So, hear the word of the Lord from Exodus 3. I'm going to read verses 1 through 15. We won't look at the totality of this story, but pull some things from it this morning, but want to read it for us so we get the sense. You probably know this story and have heard many sermons on it, so bear with me as we hear the story of Moses. He writes Meanwhile, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father in law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a bush. And Moses looked and he saw that the bush was on fire but was not consumed. So Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out to him from the bush Moses, Moses, here I am, he answered. Do not come closer, he said. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he continued, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt and have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings, and I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and bring them from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The territory of the Canaanites, the Hethites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, So because the Israelites cry for help has come to me, I have also seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses asked God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And he answered, I will certainly be with you. This will be the sign to you that I am the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will all worship God at this mountain. Then Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they will ask me, what is his name? What shall I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the Israelites. The Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I am to be remembered in every generation. Well, good and holy God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for just the redemptive unfolding of your scripture, that there is something here, not just telling us uh, the historic account of Israel coming out of Egypt, but revealing your character to us. The God who is present with us, that keeps us, that gives us hope in the midst of the uncertainties of life, of the unmet expectations that we experience. Holy Spirit, we ask today that you would help us, that you would open our hearts to hear the truth of who Jesus is, what he's done for us, and what that means as we live in this Advent, waiting for his return in the resolution of all things brought to renewal. Lord, help me to speak with clarity the truth of your grace and your goodness and your mercy for us, that it truly would be the thing that fires us, that warms us, that keeps us in you for your glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus is the fire that warms us through the cold of unmet expectations. Now, we've talked, maybe some of us more than others, a lot about our recent renovation and just the love for our home. We got a new fence this week, which is funny. There's always like a new project, right? And I'm running out of money, so there's not going to be many more projects, so you don't have to put up with that. But one of the key things for us on our patio is our new fire pit. We got Stacy for our anniversary to celebrate um, all these years of torment of being married to me. And so we bought a uh, solo, uh, one of the solo stove bonfires. And you see, they're all the rage right now. They're, they're advertised as smokeless fire pits. And it really does. The smoke doesn't, you know, usually you got a fire pit and you have to change your seat because the smoke has followed you around the fire. But it really does just ascend to the heavenlies and you just get warmed by this smokeless fire pit. And it is actually a tremendously satisfying backyard experience. And some of you, if you're in the women's Bible study, you've had opportunity to enjoy that with hot cocoa and uh, the, the coolness of the night. And the point of that stove is that if it is stoked correctly and that is paired with a chill in the air, that it actually keeps us warm. It's not just ornamental. It's just not because we're trying to be hipsters and have a cool device on our patio. We actually want to stay warm when we're there. It's not merely a decoration or a piece of furniture for us. It has a purpose to sustain you through these terribly cold California winters. Thank you for laughing at that. And I know that's a that's a silly illustration talking about a fire pit but really this is actually how the gospel works in our lives isn't it it warms us it gets us through the cold of night an advent for us is an embrace of that reality the understanding that we're actually experiencing darkness and experience the coldness of night appreciate what Tish Harrison Warren an author Um, And Preacher says about Advent, she says to practice Advent is to lean into an almost cosmic ache, our deep wordless desire for things to be made right in the incompleteness we find in the meantime. We dwell in a world that is still wracked with conflict, violence, suffering and darkness and Advent holds space for our grief. We need communal rhythms that make deliberate space space for both grief and for joy. She says, for me, the old saying rings true, hunger is the best condiment. Abstaining for a moment from the clamor of compulsive jollification and instead leaning into the reality of human tragedy and my own need and brokenness allows my experience of glory at Christmas time to feel not only more emotionally sustainable, but also more vivid, vital, and cherished. So that's what we want to do as a people as we approach and go through Advent. We live recognizing the cold so that we can actually seek the warmth. The cold we want to see today then is that of unmet expectations in our lives when life doesn't go as planned, when success hasn't arrived on the schedule that we had previously determined, when sanctification seems just too difficult of a thing to ask for, when letdowns multiply, and when uncertainty is our steady diet day in and day out. And to help us get to the light that warms us, we have Moses. He's Uh, Well known, hopefully, by all of us, the Hebrew child that is saved through adoption and he's raised in the royal house of Egypt. As an adult, he becomes aware of the plight of his people and uh, witnessing the abuse at the hands of one Egyptian, he kills that man. And in a strange turn of events, he's no hero to his people. And so he's discouraged by that. And then eventually the king, Pharaoh, hears of this murder and he seeks to kill Moses. And so Moses then just runs away and goes into the wilderness for the first time in his life. And there he meets the priest of Midian and he ends up marrying one of his daughters and he begins a family. He just lives out his life it's some extra 40 years that transpire when Moses is building his family in the wilderness away from Egypt and his people, the Hebrews. So we look at this story, we hear it, we recount it often because we're always looking for our own burning bush. We want to experience that, the holiness of God's presence and him speaking to us, giving purpose to our lives, calling us to go and be the ones that go in the name of Yahweh. But this could have hardly have been what Moses planned, right? The dude grows up in the royal house. He is chummy with the Pharaoh, the king, and the one who will be king one day. Doubt it's what he dreamt of as he began to stand against the oppressors whose house he had been raised in. As if he thought maybe a big deliverance would have come through his act of physicality that happened 40 years before. We see before this in Exodus 2, after a long time, the king of Egypt died and the Israelites groaned because of their difficult labor. And they cried out and their cry for help because of the difficult labor ascended to God. God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, and God saw the Israelites, and God knew. So here's Moses apart from, you know, if he's anything like me, like I would have had this vision that I was going to lead the people out, that first murder would have been the start of a revolution, and we would have gone into some land that I had promised them. It didn't unfold that way. Instead, the people remained in uh, oppression and slavery, and they're crying out to God for decades, longing for redemption. And we hear Moses by this point, forty years of earning a paycheck from his father-in-law. Like some of it, we like. I like my father-in-law, but I probably don't want to work for him. In the same way, my wife doesn't want to work for me. Ask her; she'll tell you. But this is where we see Moses. This is where we encounter him as he's walking along doing his job, and he writes the word essentially translated in the CSB, meanwhile. It's like now, like at the right time. Even when his arrival is unexpected, God comes. And he appears in the startling fire on a bush that won't burn up. And the messenger, it says in the Hebrew of the Lord, appears in the flames. And then God himself calls out to him. So Yahweh is here. Creator of all things is present in this moment. That's why there's a, a call to recognize the holiness of this space in which Moses has found himself. He says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. I am who I am, he declared. Now, without a doubt, this is Moses' story, right? Like, I don't, I don't want to rob that from Moses. It's the unfolding of redemption for Israel out of slavery in Egypt and into eventually the promised land. But you must know that God doesn't waste history. His redemptive story always points to one place, to the ultimate redemption found in Christ. And even Moses wrote of him, Jesus will tell us in Scripture. Now, some people would take a lot of time, and if you're familiar with the the term Christophany, Uh, Christophany is where we try to label some appearance of God or an angel in the Old Testament as the incarnation of Christ. That Christ is physically there. And I don't even want to spend any time in that as that who this messenger is this morning. But the truth is that the voice that is speaking from the bush, this Yahweh God who is, is exactly who Jesus claimed to be. We see in his ministry in John 8, Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. That's a scandalous call, and that will immediately turn then the religious elite against Jesus. Because this blasphemy, if he is not in fact God, he has claimed to be God. As followers of Jesus, we believe his words and the truth of it. And I like what Chad Bird, a scholar, says. He says, Yahweh is Jesus. Elohim is Jesus. Adonai is Jesus. He is the wisdom who created the world. He is Adonai who redeemed Israel from Egypt. In brief, we know no God apart from Jesus the Christ. And in Jesus Christ, we know everything we need to know about God. As the Messiah himself says, he who has seen me has seen the father in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily this is who is speaking the god of all gods the creator of the universe this is jesus himself and what we see here of god is true of jesus and we can find hope in it it can be what warms us when we face unmet expectations in our lives And while this declaration is for relief of Israel, there is something of the rewriting of the script of Moses' life here. And his life is going to change dramatically from this moment. But still, it gives us clues to get through the cold of our season. When things go differently than planned, when tragedy strikes, when it seems like we've been praying for some deliverance forever and it never seems to come. We see in the truth of what happens in the burning bush is represented the things that are realized because of the incarnation. Because Jesus came, we can take hope in what he declares here. And first, it's just that Jesus is present. In Moses' situation, in ours, God is not, in fact, aloof and clueless. Jesus is, in fact, present. See this in verse 7 of our chapter. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt and have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their suffering. And we have a tendency to slog through life it's just living. I think in this like a lack of awareness, just unaware of the continued presence. Of God, We live as if God is around maybe when we gather as a church, like, oh, God was really present in that worship service. Or when we're in Bible study together, we just recognize his presence in that moment. Or when we actually spend time to pray, we can recognize the presence of God. But the rest of the time we live, and at times it may feel to us as if we are just unseen, unheard, and unknown by the creator of the universe. But the declaration of scripture is that God is actually involved. He is aware and he is around. And he says here that he sees. And answering the question of God, are you seeing this essentially to the prayers of the people of Israel? He has observed the misery of his people. There is no surprise. When things begin to unravel, even in our lives, God is not quickly trying to script another story that ends better than the experience of the moment. He sees. Jesus sees us. He's aware of the trauma that you have experienced. He witnesses the anxiety that you face day in and day out. He recognizes the unmet expectations, the things that come up before us, that distract us from his presence. The truth is, there's relief in that, to be seen, validating our experience. Like, Jesus knows what you're going through. He visually is aware of it. The creator of the universe takes the time to see you. It's not even like just like a globe, global vision. He likes, oh yeah, the world's in trouble. No, he sees you personally. He knows your soul. He sees your experience. He's still present in that. But he also hears. Yahweh has heard the cries of his people, the pleas for relief for something different than what they're experiencing at that moment. And among the most frustrating things, maybe this is just revealing a little bit about my personality, but one of the most frustrating things uh, relationally is when the other person doesn't hear you. Right? Right? And it usually happens in the marital context. But have you ever asked someone you love to repeat, repeat back to you what you just said to see if, in fact, they were listening to you? Because it seemed like their attention was somewhere else. I can do some head nods over there. That. That's a very loud amen over there, Joyce. Right? And I hate it when she actually repeats back to me what I said, because then it's like I'm pretty, like she was listening, but you know she wasn't really listening. Right? And so that's the difficulty of relationships. Like we want to be heard. And oftentimes we can take that experience into prayer, crying out to God and wonder if he is listening. Like, is, is Jesus at this moment rather than listening to you doom scrolling Twitter? Like, I sure hope not, right? And even if he is, he can multitask, don't worry, because he hears you. He is there. He's paying attention to you. He is not deaf to your plea. The Apostle John would say in 1 John 5, This is the confidence we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. If we know that he hears whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. Now, there is much that we could say about prayer and how it works, how it's answered. But what we get from our text is that he hears. Jesus sees and Jesus hears. This is the character of God. He observes and he hears. But he also knows. He knows about their suffering. Now, we might on the face of it wonder how that is different from seeing or even hearing, but it represents an understanding that is different just than just a, a awareness of it. He isn't left to wonder about what he has seen and heard. He knows the context. He knows the motivations. He knows the participants. He knows and understands our longings and ache over the cold of life. Like it's healthy for us to speak back to God and tell him what our unmet expectations are, but they are of no surprise to him. So he knows you more than you know yourself. Gavin Orland says, "The I am, quoting from Revelation 2, I am he who searches mind and heart. And, and Gavin says, in this world so much is unfairly judged and so much remains hidden or obscured. And how comforting it is to remember all is seen plainly by Jesus. And I would add, seen plainly and known by Jesus. So the I am sees, he hears, he knows and it's a comfort for us, because even in the reality of unmet expectations, you are not alone. He is present, and in Christ, this reality is made all the more true for us. Because Jesus came, we can experience the reality of who Yahweh says he is in this burning book. One scholar, John Jefferson Davis, says this in his book, Meditation and Communion with God, It says, Christ is in fact present to the believer and to the church in a threefold way, despite the fact that Christ's glorified molecular body is not present on earth, but is now invisible in heaven. And he says, Christ is really within the believer by the Holy Spirit who extends Christ's self and presence into the believer's heart. This is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He says Christ is really among the believing assembly gathered as a church in worship by virtue of his name and spirit. And the believer is really present to the heavenly ascended Christ being seated with Christ in heavenly realms, the spirit connecting the believer with Christ and extending the believer's spirit and self to Christ's self. And he finishes with this thought, the Holy Spirit connects us with Christ and lift us into the presence of the ascended Lord, with whom we are in union from the time of our conversion, being incorporated into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit, who continues to abide in us as an ontological reality. I know, ontological reality is like, oh, give me 50 cents, because I used a big word, right? But it just means like your being, Your ontology, like who you are at the deepest reality. And scripture declares that we are in union with Christ at the deepest reality of who we are in him. So when it comes to the unscripted parts of life, to the unmet expectations, and if you have yet to have unmet expectations in your life, give it a few weeks. Right? You are not alone, however, in the midst of that. What feels dark and what feels cold in Christ, you are not alone. You are not left stranded, but you are actually known and cared for. And while his plans don't always seem clear to us, we can trust him because he is present with us. And if... We're humble enough to seek it. We experience that presence in community with others that are finding his presence presence as a reality. And that's something for us. That is an amazing light in the midst of darkness. The one with all authority in heaven and earth, as he says, is with us always to the end of the age. So Jesus is present. But he's also for you. And God continues to speak in verse 80. He says, and I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and bring them from that land to a good and spacious land. So not only does God see, hear, and know, he's actually on the move. He has come down to rescue the oppressed will be free and brought into a spacious land. Those that are kept in slavery will have their freedom because God acts on their behalf. And we know how the story goes, right? From this burning bush to the rest of the story, the deliverance we see, the building crescendo over generation, generations of people that await their final king, this spotless lamb, and then Jesus came To work this exact same kind of rescue, not just out of Egypt, but out of every form of oppression, every form of slavery that kept his people. I'm really excited. In the new year, we're going to start a study of the Gospel of Luke that a current outline will take us five years to do. I'm working on that. We'll see if we can pay that much attention to it. But in Luke 4, there's this beautiful scene where Jesus claims all of this for himself goes into the synagogue, and Luke tells us in Luke 4, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, given to Jesus, and it's kind of interesting, because they're probably testing to see how good his Hebrew is, but they also, well, he's a rabbi, he's a teacher, let's give him some opportunity to teach, and he found the place where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim that the year of the Lord's favor and he then rolled up the scroll gave it back to the attendant and sat down in the eyes of everyone in the synagogue like I can't even imagine the scene everybody's staring at him and he began by saying to them today as you listen this scripture has been fulfilled That's the burning bush moment of the New Testament. Salvation for us is freedom from the oppression of unmet expectations, the oppression of sin and and ultimately death that we would experience apart from Christ. Freedom from all things that attempt to keep us under their thumb the things of fleshly obsession the habits the darkness that we experience as the world waits for his return freedom is finished for us on the cross through his life and his death but his resurrection continues to unleash new life in us he's at work and we experience this first through his word and we we friends we have to be people of the world word and not people of the world right But all the more, as the world decays, we can sink back into the word and find our hope, the recounting of his grace, the model of living in light of redemption. And all of it was breathed out by God for our good. Scripture is just the flicker of flames that thaw frozen hearts and warm us for the journey home. Whatever I'm trying to say, the journey home is what I was trying to say. Losing my breath. I, it, it, it's not breathed out by me. It's breathed out by God. So we experience it through his word, but we also experience it through the work of his spirit, the helper who witnesses of Jesus and empowers his people for the life that he set before us. And Jesus talking of the Holy Spirit in John 14 says, but the counselor, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. This is the source of transformation of our peace, the work of the Spirit. So we experience the activity of Christ, his work for us through his word, through the work of the Spirit. And we experience the work of Jesus in his prayers for us. Because not only does he hear us and answer when we pray, but he is busy petitioning the Father on our behalf. Paul will write in Romans 8, who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies, who's the one who condemns. Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He is also at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. The author of Hebrews, we talk about Christ as our high priest living forever. And he says, therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him since he always lives to intercede for them. Like what a what a joy and a hope that is that he saves us completely. Like it's not a partial saving. It's like you've you've believed now. You have to keep saving yourself. No, he saves you completely because his active work for you is interceding for you. So he's at work for you when the chill of life comes when. The cold invades with the darkness of night. We are to be warmed by Jesus, by his presence and by his work. They are both real and for you. When we bend under the weight of unmet expectations, we are fueled to keep going by the one who gave himself for us, who revealed that God's plan was actually best and could be trusted. And the promise, friends, for us is still of deliverance. It leads all the way then to Revelation, and we see this great picture in Revelation 12 as John writes what he saw. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say that salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ have now come because the accuser of brothers and sisters who accused them before God day and night has been thrown down. They conquered him by the blood of the Lamb in the word of their testimony. Talking back, telling the story of how you've been warm through the coldness of night. Now, I don't know fully what unmet expectations each of you are facing. Maybe it has to do with your career or in your job in some way that you haven't experienced what you thought you would experience. Maybe it's in the raising of kids, right? Right? And I don't think it's at all evidence that some of you keep having kids as if you're going to have the perfect one. I know that's not what you're doing, for sure. But when they don't live in the right way, when they don't become Pentecostal like you, or or when they turn from the Lord and from the church, those unmet expectations. I I don't know the unmet expectations of like defeating sin in your life. The things that linger so close for so long. I don't know about the unmet expectation in relationships, in our marriages, in our friendships. Things that go sour and south because we're human. But I I do know that there is a fire that brightens the night, that feels like home and carries us through. And friends, my encouragement to you is to run to him, run to Jesus no matter what. Ask him to be your fire, to keep you warm, to keep you through the unmet reality of our life. Because he is present with us and working on our behalf, we can keep going. We can choose to see the light in the midst of darkness, to trust him in uncertainty, to follow his plan for us. Jesus is the fire that warms us through the cold of unmet expectations. This life may not look as we imagine, but in Christ, it is headed toward beauty, toward glory. We, we live, as many of you know, in the shadow of the old Palomar Hospital, which is at the moment being demolished, making way for new development of some 800 homes. It's going to change our downtown uh, community. And many Neighbors have, as the demolition has been progressing, been complaining that it looks like a war zone. And I I don't know that many of them have ever actually been into a war zone. But they just talk about, "Oh, this long demolition is just so ugly. I wish they would have left it as it is." It's just such a silly silly thing. Don't go on that neighborhood social media stuff. That'll that'll get you because all all that. Demolition is progress actually to something that is better. But what's been so like, funny and encouraging to our family, that still among the destruction and the skeletal remains of this old hospital at the moment, someone has determined to leave the Christmas tree-shaped lights that are at the top of the building on during this Christmas season. So you see like this blown out building at the top. There's still a Christmas tree shining brightly for all to see. From the wreckage shines the light of hope, the arrival of Christ, right? This may actually be our lives. and You need to know that it's okay that if your life looks like the wreckage of the old Palomar Hospital. Because there are days like my life feels like less than I just am I'm the, I'm the, the pile of rubble. The dusty mess. But what a glimpse of progress this is because it's like a phoenix of hope arising over the broken and unexpected life. The fire of promise of Christ shining into the night, declaring our hope. And that's what our lives are meant to be. Like some of us, we think, oh no, you have to be the pristine new building and then you can shine Christ. Be bold enough to be the wreckage of your unmet expectations shining brightly the light that warms you. We'll end with a prayer from Chad Bird, who we quoted earlier. He says, we need, what we need is for Adonai to look for us. Come with an outstretched arm and redeem us. With his arm, the Lord redeemed Israel from the death grip of Pharaoh, He stretched out that strong arm to cast down plague after plague, to slay the firstborn of their enemy, to split the Red Sea, to transform rocks into rivers and to guide his people to the land flowing with milk and honey. Stretch out that same hand, O Adonai, to redeem us. And he will, he will stretch out his infant arm to touch his mother's face. He'll stretch out his hand to heal a leper, and he'll stretch out his hand, both hands, to have them nailed to the bloody wood on which we are redeemed. Oh, Adonai, our Lord Jesus, messenger of the Father, bearer of the Spirit, ruler of the house of Israel, and the head of the church, wrap us in your strong, redeeming arms of mercy. Lord, that you would be the fire that keeps us warm that fuels us for this life of declaring your mercy and goodness for all of our days. In Jesus' name, amen.